Chapter 5 Lucy Cragwell Jennifer had been to the Saturday hop with some friends from work. Among them had been Lucy Cragwell, a lumpish, sniffy girl who worked on the cash till in the canteen. She'd invited her to come on impulse because she felt sorry for her. She'd found her crying in the toilets that day, not just having a little weep the way most of the girls did from time to time, but really sobbing, white and hysterical, great belly sobs of misery. Jennifer stood, embarrassed, with a comforting hand on her shoulder, while Lucy heaved up her grief. Lucy? Lucy? What's the matter? <sighs> I wish I was pretty. I hate being <laughs> ugly, Jennifer. And there it was. Lucy's agony laid at her feet like bad news that's just come through the letterbox. One minute it had nothing to do with her. The next minute it was hers to cope with. Of course you're not ugly. Of course I am. Look at me. Lucy scraped her thin, straight and tear-wet hair away from her face and tucked it behind her ears. She and Jennifer inspected the white moon face in the mirror, the eyes red and blotched with unhappiness, the thin slit of a mouth. Behind her, Jennifer's hair bushed out, lustrous, her skin bright with health, her eyes dark with sympathy. It's only because you've been crying, Lucy. Shudders of unhappiness shook the girl again. It isn't fair. Look at you and look at me. My mother says I shouldn't mind being ugly, as long as people like me. But people don't like me. It was true. Nobody liked Lucy Cragwell much. She was plain and she was sniffy and she smelt a bit. She always looked miserable, and she always would do. She was only seventeen. Jennifer didn't know what to say. Some of us are going to the dance at the Locarno tonight, Lucy. Would you like to come? Lucy drew in her breath sharply. The girls don't like me. They wouldn't want me to go. I want you to go. We're meeting outside at eight o'clock. Try and come. Jennifer went back to her office, glad that she wasn't ugly, and that she'd been able to say something to cheer Lucy up, and quite sure that she wouldn't come. But Lucy did come. When the girls arrived, she was already there, slopping backwards and forwards in her mother's shoes, and in a dress she'd worn to the Christmas social, stained as it had been then, with toothpaste. The girls giggled to each other when they saw her, but Lucy was used to that. Shut up! Jennifer said to them, Come on, Lucy, you come in with me. Lucy followed her in, her loose shoes clattering, and sat slightly apart from them, grateful and quiet, through the evening. She saw Mike and Maureen come in together, and she watched Mike all evening. She flushed deeply when he came across to ask Jennifer to dance, and when he was turned down. I'll dance with you, she wanted to say, but daren't. And that night, while Mike dreamed of Jennifer, Lucy Cragwell dreamed of Mike Bradley. Next Monday in the canteen, she leaned across to Jennifer as she approached the cash desk with her dinner tray. Jennifer could smell her fishy breath. You know Maureen Bradley? she asked. Jennifer didn't know her. 
Lucy pointed her out, sitting by herself near the window. I remember her now, said Jennifer. She was at the hop, wasn't she, in a polka dot skirt. Do us a favour, Lucy breathed. Ask her who that teddy boy was who came in with her. Her neck and her ears were scarlet with embarrassment. Why, Lucy? Do you fancy him? Lucy hung her head. Her pale strands of hair fell forward into Jennifer's soup. Sort of, she whispered. I'll see what I can do, Jennifer promised. She took her tray over to Maureen's table. You know that teddy boy who came to the dance with you last Saturday? She asked. Maureen sighed. He's nothing to do with me. He's only me brother. Jennifer laughed in sympathy. What's his name, though? Michael. Why? Oh, no reason. I'm only asking for a friend. She watched Lucy at the cash desk. Her pale moon face floated in space over the trays of food. Jennifer felt a sudden rush of warmth for her. Could you do me a favour, Maureen? Could you ask your Michael to come in here tomorrow and buy something from the canteen? Our Mike! Could you? Please? Maureen couldn't wait to get home that night and tell Mike that Jennifer wanted a date with him. He stared at her. Who's Jennifer? he asked. His heart leapt like a frog in his shirt. You know very well who Jennifer is. You never took your eyes off her the other night at the Locarno. I saw you. Oh, he nodded thoughtfully. That Jennifer. He rushed round to tell Alan. Hey, I've got a date, he panted. That girl at the dance wants to see me. Alan was squatting over a bowl of water, trying to find a puncture in his bike tyre. He wasn't as excited as Mike. Chase no bird, he warned him, not looking up. I'm not chasing her. She's chasing me. I'm warning thee. Chase a bird and she'll fly away. He sighed as the bubbles floated up and lifted the tyre carefully out of the bowl. If she wants to see thee, play hard to get. Let her see thee with some other bird. Keep her guessing. Oh, come off it, Alan. I've only got a week before I go into the army. Who good round here? You do, Alan. Right. Do as I say, then. Chase no bird. Next day, nervous, Mike sauntered into the work's canteen. He got himself a cup of tea and stood in front of Lucy, waiting to pay for it. She didn't notice him at first, as she was furtively finishing off a jam sponge that someone had left on a plate. When she looked up, the telltale scarlet flashed across her neck. She couldn't swallow her mouthful of cake. I never thought I'd see you again, she attempted on impulse, spraying crumbs at him. He couldn't grasp what she'd said, but smiled at her and went to sit near the door. Jennifer was nowhere in sight. He sat for thirty minutes while Lucy hummed round him cleaning the tables, even though it wasn't her job, smiling pike-like at him and everyone else who came near her. Mike watched her moodily. At last he gave Jennifer up. He wandered towards the exit door. Lucy dodged after him. Bye, she called sweetly. Cheerio. He slammed the door behind him, and there was Jennifer. Hello, he said, calm. I came. 
so I see. She smiled at him. He looked better in normal working clothes, even if he was wearing old school trousers. Aren't you going to talk? He said, smiling back foolishly. I'm due back at work now. I can come tomorrow. Good, she said. Good! He watched her walk down the corridor to the stairs that led to her office and somehow moved himself out of the building into the yard. He could be seen by several office girls and by Lucy Cragwell from the canteen, leaping over benches, crazy as a bat. Lucy nibbled cold chips and hummed to herself. The next day, the same thing happened. Mike sat fretful and disappointed, waiting for Jennifer, while Lucy wiped tabletops and sang. She was working out opening sentences in her head. Mike's anger mounted. Someone was trying to make a fool of him. At last he made his mind up. He'd go. He swung out of the canteen and Lucy, desperate, dropped her dishcloth and slopped after him. Mike dodged away from her and ran away from the exit door and towards the offices. He'd find Jennifer and make her tell him what it was all about. Heavy footsteps echoed in his wake. He saw Maureen and grabbed her arm. That girl's following me, he said. So what? You're not scared of Lucy Cragwell, are you? Maureen giggled. She slowed down to allow Lucy to catch up with them. Girls were passing, high-voiced, laughing, all their eyes on him, Mike thought. She's driving me crackers, he said. She's following me round like a piece of toffee paper stuck to me boot. Oh, call her off, Maureen. His sister ducked out of the way as Lucy reached them, breathless, and hung laughing onto Mike's arm. The corridors were full of girls going back to their offices. Jennifer would be there any minute. Lucy lifted her moon face up towards him, grabbing her chance. Would you like to go to the pictures tonight? She asked. Good, he said absently. He'd seen Jennifer. Great. I know girls don't ask boys, but I think that's daft, don't you? What? Yeah. Jennifer was only yards away. She must have seen him. So will you come? Will you? If he could just get away from her, he might be able to reach Jennifer before she went up the stairs. He panicked. He remembered what Alan had said. He unwrapped Lucy's arm from his. Yeah, he said. Lucy caught him again. Jennifer, she shouted, loud enough for everyone in the building to hear. Mike and I are going to the pictures tonight. In the sea of laughing faces, he focused on Jennifer's and couldn't make out anything at all from the look she gave him. But then, as he thought later, head and hands on the bench in the yard, he must have looked pretty blank too. He didn't know what to do about that night. He'd never been asked out by a girl before. That was something, he supposed. But Lucy Cragwell. If he didn't turn up, Jennifer might get to hear of it and think badly of him. Perhaps it was a kind of test. But what if it wasn't? He'd think badly of himself, he knew, if he let Lucy down. He had a picture of her, sniffy and lumpish by the work's gates, waiting. Perhaps it was a joke, and Lucy would metamorphose into Jennifer when he arrived. Perhaps she wouldn't, and Alan would see them together and laugh. He could tell Alan he was taking his advice after all. 
It might work. It might make Jennifer jealous. It wasn't worth the risk of not turning up. He wore his teddy boy outfit. She was waiting for him when he arrived. I shouldn't really have come out tonight, he told her. I've got packing to do. I'm going into the army. Maybe she'd release him. I like soldiers, she said, placid. He walked slightly behind her on the way to the pictures and insisted on paying for himself. During the film, she slid her hand across and placed it in his own. A fish hand, clammy with cold. His skin prickled. When the film ended, she stood waiting for him to put her coat on, and he caught the sharp smell of her sweat as she lifted up her arms. It's been the best night of my life, Michael, she said, clopping awkwardly at his side in her borrowed shoes. I'll let you into a secret, she went on. It's my very first date. His heart stirred with something like misery and something like pride. Mine too, he said thickly. He couldn't face the canteen the next day. Nor could he face the thought of not seeing Jennifer. He had to explain about Lucy. In the lunch break, he wandered round from the gardener's shed and sat on the bench in the yard. The sky was low and yellow. No one sat out on days like this. Fat rain began to burst round him. He sat on, miserable and damp, watching the puddles grow and the dark, wet stains spread across the bench. He knew Lucy was standing at the canteen window, watching him. He dipped his finger into a bolt hole full of rainwater on the bench. J, he wrote carefully on the arm of the bench. He dipped again. E. N. She came out, holding up a pale blue umbrella. He'd wished her there, and she'd come. He put his hand over the letters. Jennifer, he said, will you come to the pictures tonight? Now he was conscious of the rain dribbling down the back of his neck. Must have been a good film if you want to see it twice. I want to see it with you. I should think you've got enough on your hands with Lucy Cragwell. Oh, I didn't mean to take her out, honestly. Rain tipped from the umbrella and splashed onto his face as he stood up. It was an accident. I suppose you did it for a dare? Yeah. No, not a dare. Why should I do it for a dare? A joke, then. She shook her umbrella again, just missing his eye. Well, let me tell you something, Michael, or whatever your name is. Michael, he said. Mike. And this isn't a joke. Lucy Cragwell's in love with you. What? Oh, no. Love? Heck. Lucy Cragwell's slow pike smile hooked on him from the window, arms bulging from her tight sleeves, grey eyes flat as fishes, humming with happiness. Oh, no. I can't stand lads like you, Jennifer went on. She can't help it. Neither can I, said Mike. I can't help it. I hope you're satisfied, that's all. Jennifer clicked away and Mike sank back onto the bench, tense and miserable and soaked to the skin by now. At last he stood up to go, 
and as he did so there was a tap on the canteen window, and he turned to see Lucy waving at him. He groaned and turned away, but within minutes he heard the slap of fat feet on the wet pavement, and he knew that she was following him. How did you know it was my half-day, Mike? she said, steadying herself against him as she put her shoes back on, pleased with herself, pleased with him, and pleased with the rain that would make it necessary for her to hold her umbrella over them both. I didn't, he said. It's just my luck. Our luck, she said. Do you want to come home with me for a cup of tea? This is my bus. He shrugged. He was too wet to care. He wanted to go home and write a letter to Jennifer. A poem, maybe. He wanted to get on with his packing. He wanted to write a will, donating his records and his teddy boy suit to an orphanage in case anything happened to him in the army. He wanted to float away in the rain and trickle down a grid in some quiet gutter. He followed her onto the bus and off it again and into a dark little house that smelt of dogs. A large plain woman, an older Lucy, came out of the kitchen to meet them. She looked at them both with distaste. Mum, this is Michael. I've told you about him, said Lucy happily. Her mother sniffed in a familiar way and sent her upstairs to change into dry clothes. Mike could hear her singing in a surprisingly sweet voice as she padded about in her room, making the light fitting shake. Mrs Cragwell gave Mike a cup of tea as he steamed by the fire. He didn't like to sit down. A dog scratched and whined at the closed door. Lucy's mother bit a hard biscuit and glared at Mike. Her hair, grey and greasy, hung limp around her ears. And as Mike swallowed his first mouthful of tea, he saw one of these same grey hairs unwind from the inside of his cup and felt it wrap itself round his tonsils. He tried to cough it up. Mrs Cragwell cracked another bite of biscuit. You look after that girl, do you hear me? She said at last. I don't want any fooling around. Mike folded his tongue backwards in search of the hair. I've had my heart broke once, and I don't want it happening to my daughter. He hooked his finger down the side of his mouth. His cup and saucer rattled in his free hand, spilling their contents. She's not pretty, and she's not clever, Mrs Cragwell said, but she's a good girl. Don't you hurt that girl's feelings. Her eyes darkened with memories of her own sorrow. Hey, what's the matter with you? You got toothache? I think I've swallowed something, Mrs Cragwell. Cough it up, then. She padded across the carpet and thumped his back. I must have dropped a bit of my ginger biscuit into your tea. Do you want one? All Mike wanted was to get out, but he didn't know how. He dived for the door as soon as he heard Lucy coming down the stairs. I've got to go now and do me packing, he said. He saw Lucy's disappointed face. She'd put new clothes on and makeup. She'd brushed her hair till it floated. She smelt of talcum powder. Don't go, she said. No, really, I must. I'm lovely and dry now. Look, that side is anyway. Can I see you tomorrow, Mike? Of course, yeah, why not? Not much to offer in exchange for fresh air and rain, cold as broken promises, and loneliness, and lies.
Tomorrow was his last day, his last chance to see Jennifer again. After work, then, and he was out, running this time, collar up, straight through puddles, head spinning. Lucy Cragwell's in love with you. Don't hurt the girl. Don't go. Oh, Lucy, Lucy, Mrs. Cragwell sighed and put the kettle on for another cup of tea. End of side three. Side four. Mike's mother, Dorothy, had been shopping in town, getting things ready for him to take away. I've got you some nice new socks and underpants, she said, trying to cheer him up at tea time. He won't need those, Dorothy. Army will give him those, Albert said with relish. Mike sat hunched over his tea. Come on, Michael, eat up. He's in love, said Maureen. Shut up, will you? I thought as much, Dorothy said, pleased. Not eating, staying up all hours, pacing round his room at night, coming home soaked through. I knew it. I am not in love! Mike stood up. He was taller than his father, even. Her name's Lucy Cragwell and she's foul, said Maureen. She is not foul! All right, said Michael, recognising himself in his son for the first time. And sorry for him. We'll have no more of this. Eat the tea your mother's cook for you, Michael. It's one of the last decent meals you'll get. Mike could be heard pacing round his room that night. He had his windows wide open. The curtains tugged against the hooks he used to hang his model planes on. Tomorrow he was leaving home. And when he came back, he'd be a man. It was going to happen, and there was nothing he could do to stop it. And nobody cared. He wouldn't mind so much if somebody cared. But nobody did. If he had a girl to write home to, and a photograph of her to stick by his bed, and a promise to see him during leave, he wouldn't mind going. Jennifer would have done fine. But it looked as if it was going to have to be Lucy unless he did something terrible to break her heart. And he didn't know how to do that. Poor old Lucy, he thought, surprised. She's all right, really. Perhaps she would do. When he stood outside the works gates the next day, the first person he saw was Jennifer. He could smell her Lily of the Valley perfume as she came up to him. Jennifer, he said, desperate. I've got to talk to you. I'm going away tomorrow. I know, she said. The army's going to make a man of you. I am a man, he said. I shave nearly every day now. Well, she smiled. You must be then. Have a good time. She moved away. Wait, he said. 
could I write to you? Jennifer pouted, thinking hard. Lucy was coming. When she saw Mike, she started running to him. Jennifer leaned forward and patted his arm. I'm too old for pen pals, she said. Anyway, I don't like teddy boys. You never hear of teddy men, do you? She stood away again as Lucy panted up to them. I'll leave you two alone. Mike plunged his hands so deep into his pockets that he felt the lining rip. Lucy waited. Come on, he said at last, and she plodded after him. Alan went past on his bike, jeering. <sighs> if a cat got in my way, I'd kick it, Mike thought. No, I wouldn't. How could I kick a cat? I couldn't even squash a tadpole. He had a sudden picture of himself in army uniform, a soldier running at sandbags, screeching, plunging bayonets in. He moaned and reeled against the wall, hugging himself. You got that toothache again? Lucy asked. I don't want to go in the army, Lucy. You'll be all right. I won't. I don't want to be a soldier. What's it all for? Killing people. You'll make some nice friends. I'm scared, Lucy. She looked at him thoughtfully. Course you are. I think I'd be scared too. I'm glad girls don't have to go. It's not fair, I suppose, but I'm glad anyway. You'll write to me, won't you? All of a sudden he wanted the comfort of her plump arms round him. She put her cold hand on his and led him into a shop doorway. She put her handbag down on the tile floor and lifted her arms up to his shoulders, turning her moon face up towards him. Hey, what's up? he asked, worried. I want to give you a kiss, she said, but it can't reach. You'll have to bend down. He bent down and allowed her thin slit of a mouth to rest against his. His head was reeling. I don't want to hurt her feelings, let her down, break her heart, he thought. I'm the only chance she's got. Now then, she said, picking her bag up and stepping away from him. Just listen. I'm not going to write to you. Oh well, he thought. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'll do because there's no one else. You're thinking you'll keep me on because you don't want to hurt my feelings. You're sorry for me. You know I'll still be here when you come home on leave because no one else will have me. Shut up, I'm talking. Mike stared at the leaves edging round in the doorway. His throat was tight and swollen. I thought you were interested in me, but now I know it's Jennifer you're after. Of course, I knew that all along, but I've been pretending. Shut up, I'm not that bothered. We could go on and on like this with you feeling sorry for me and me trotting round after you because I'm scared of not getting anyone else. For years and years, do you know that? We could end up getting married, Michael. Have you thought of that? What are you sniffing for? I'm the one who sniffs round here. We could end up with a string of kids who all had long bendy legs like you and fishy cod faces like me. Have you thought of that? Well, I have. As a matter of fact, Michael Bradley, I've thought of nothing else since last Saturday night. And I've decided I don't want it. I don't want a bendy, cowardy boyfriend who's too scared to admit that he doesn't even like me.
I do like you. Shut up. I don't think I want anyone, actually. If I ever do have someone, it's going to be equal and fair and obvious from the start. Not him chasing me the way you chase Jennifer. The way every lad in the works chases Jennifer, by the way. And not me chasing him the way I've been chasing you. What a stupid way to carry on. That's what I think about love. If it isn't equal, it isn't real. And if it isn't real, then it isn't worth having. I'm catching that bus. That night, Mrs. Cragwell plodded upstairs with a cup of tea for Lucy. She didn't put the light on. Feeling better, love? she asked. Lucy sniffed. A bit. Mrs. Cragwell went over to draw the curtains. She could just make out a very tall, thin lad outside, his face white and childlike in the light of the street lamp. He'd been there since tea time. Mrs. Cragwell shook her head, closed the curtains, and took Lucy's empty cup down to be washed. Albert and Dorothy came down to the station to see Mike off the next morning. They were as anxious as he was, and shouted last-minute fondnesses to him. They got a lodger ready to move into his room that night, but they hadn't told him yet. Mike lifted his bag up onto the rack and leaned out of the window, excited suddenly. Billows of sooty steam gushed from the engine. Right along the platform, doors were being slammed. The train shrieked. The porter stood with his flag poised. Wait! One more! Please wait! It was Jennifer, running along the platform, shouting and waving, with a small group of people running after her. Here! Jennifer! Here! I'm in here! He pushed open the door. Jennifer saw him and grabbed the girl who was running behind her and shoved her into Michael's compartment. Hey, this is Michael Bradley, she panted. This is my big sister, Josie. Phew, she gasped as her parents, Bridie and Jack, joined her on the platform. She's going to college, Michael. He's going into the army, Josie. <sighs> right to us, Jack and Bridie shouted. Have a lovely time, Michael, Dorothy and Albert said. I've heard about you, said Josie. Jennifer's told me all about you. As she? The train lurched forward. The families yelled goodbye and Mike and Josie leaned out of the window together and with a huge gasp the train heaved itself into speed. Steam swirled round the platform, hiding their families. And still Mike and Josie waved. It's a bit frightening, leaving home, said Josie. No, it isn't, Mike reassured her. Yes, it is a bit. I didn't want to go at first. I'm glad now. Watch your head. There might be a tunnel. He drew her back in. You've got a smut on your nose, she said kindly. You're not a bit like Jennifer, he said. I know I'm not. She's the pretty one who goes out dancing. I'm the quiet one who stays at home studying. I want to be a teacher. You're nearly as pretty as she is, Mike said. No, you're not. You, I mean, you so, you are. The train rushed them into a tunnel. He sat in the blackness, bewildered. He could hear her snuffling. Different, 
Oh, but just as nice, nicer, he tried. Her snuffling turned into a snort and another, gasping snorts that she was trying to hold back but couldn't, and he felt the same nervous snorts rising up in him, and the more he tried to choke them back, the more they burst out. Giggle bubbles, bouncing off each other in the blackness, exploding into wild shrieks that could be heard from one end of the tunnel to the other, as the train plunged them away from Sheffield and into the new life that they would come to share. <laughs>